Hello, my name is Marina Scaliano, and I am a student project manager at the Clark Forum for Contemporary Issues here at Dickinson College. I'm joined today by Dr. Jason Nagata, who is an assistant professor of pediatrics in the Division of Adolescent and Young Adult Medicine at the University of California, San Francisco, and affiliated faculty with the Institute for Global Health Sciences and the Center for Sexual and Gender Minority Health. Thank you for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. So first, what influenced your interest in male eating disorders? My interest in eating disorders in teenage boys began actually when I was a medical student. I did my medical training um, at the University of California, San Francisco, where I am now. And as part of our medical school education, we have a continuity clinic experience, which means that there are patients that we follow over the course of a year. And actually, the patient that I was assigned was a teenage boy. He was a wrestler, 16 years old, who had been referred to our adolescent medicine clinic for a concern for an eating disorder. And I met with him basically every week for the course of a year as I um, kind of got to know, you know his issues with his body image and you know some of the behaviors that he was engaging in to achieve his sort of a muscular body ideal and also pressures from his coaches and teammates um, in terms of performance. And I think that, you know, we developed a very strong relationship, but I also noted that a lot of the guidance for doctors and other medical or mental health providers, specifically in eating disorders, is really based mostly on research done in female samples. And so a lot of the guidelines that medical providers have doesn't really apply to boys and men. And in many ways, that population is underserved in terms of eating disorders. So it made me realize that there's just a lot more research and advocacy and awareness that needs to be done in that population. So as I went along in my medical training and specialized in adolescent medicine and now mostly focus on eating disorders, care and research, that really I think solidified my direction in trying to understand better the causes and um, medical complications of eating disorders in, in boys and men. And so that's how I got started was with that patient that I took care of when I was a medical student. Thank you. That's amazing that I inspired that path for you. So why do you think that male eating disorders sort of disappear from the narrative? We don't see them in the media. And as you stated, they're not talked about a lot. It's the medical field either. So why do you think that is? Yeah, I think that there are stereotypes about who we think have eating disorders. And so I think traditionally people think that it only affects women. And often there's also a stereotype in terms of how somebody looks like a very thin, often white female. But I think one really important thing to dispel is that, you know, really eating disorders can affect everyone including diverse populations in all sense of the word of diversity from diverse, you know, genders, sexual orientations, race, ethnicity, um, socioeconomic status. And so especially now that as a provider, I do see, you know, people from all walks of life really being affected by eating disorders. And I think that part of it is from media representation, but as you mentioned, part of it is also from medical guidelines because most research has been done on in girls and women. And so a lot of the current even criteria for diagnosing eating disorders like anorexia nervosa 
are really based on female samples and under the assumption that people with eating disorders are all trying to get thin and lose weight. But actually, I think that there is a more you know, diverse pressure these days on people and not everyone with an eating disorder is actually trying to lose weight, particularly in the case of many men, they're actually trying to bulk up and get more muscular. It can still cause a lot of distress and a lot of body dissatisfaction and lead to dangerous behaviors. But I think a lot of the screening questions about weight loss or you know, vomiting or using diet pills don't really apply to male samples. And so I think that certainly the media has the role, but I think also the research and medical community, I think we've also perpetuated that bias. Thank you. What are some of the greatest factors that you tend to see in the development of disordered eating in the male population? Yeah, that's a really great question. And, you know, no one knows for sure, but it does seem like there's a mix of genetics and and behaviors or like nature versus nurture. There are studies that show that many eating disorders do have a genetic component. So some of that is really out of people's control, but it can run in families. But in addition to that, there are other potential risk factors. Being bullied or having trauma as a child can lead to higher risk of eating disorders. Again, this is where we have to sort of dispel myths. People who are or were overweight or would be considered obese, who experience bullying or teasing for their weight or their appearance are also more likely to develop eating disorders and engage in sort of unhealthy weight control behaviors. And specifically for boys and men, people who are participating in sports that have weight requirements like wrestling or crew, where you have to actually make certain weight cutoffs, that also can be a risk factor. Thank you. You mentioned earlier that obviously we see these in many diverse populations. How do LGBTQ plus identities tend to affect these issues? Yeah, this is a great topic. And today I'm mostly going to be talking about boys and men, but I think this is another area that really deserves a lot more attention. And I think sexual orientation and gender identity are separate issues, but I think they both have interesting relations with regards to body image and eating disorders. So I'll talk first about gender identity, which is just to say that we do care for a lot of gender diverse patients at our hospital and clinic in San Francisco. And I will say that among our transgender populations, there are really high rates of body dissatisfaction and disordered eating. And I think part of it is that, especially before someone is able to get gender-affirming either hormones or surgery, they feel like they're in a body that does not match the person that they're with. There is just inherently a lot of body dissatisfaction with that. And especially given that we have a lot of gender norms and pressures about what a typical masculine body is and what a typical feminine body is, and if you're born to a sex that doesn't align with your identity and with these pressures, then there is a lot of dissatisfaction with that. And so I do think that We've seen cases of people like birth assigned males who identify as girls or women who are trying for this thinness ideal, so they'll try to lose a lot of weight and really suppress certain features that may be associated more with masculinity. And conversely, birth assigned females who 
who identify more as boys or men can have the opposite, where they'll have muscularity pressures and they might want to get bigger and perhaps use steroids or performance-enhancing hormones or drugs to match that. So I, I do think that that's a population that has, unfortunately, a lot of body dissatisfaction. But there are initial studies actually that show that as people are able to get gender-affirming treatments, some of that body dissatisfaction does decrease. So that's good. And then in terms of sexual minorities, like lesbian, gay, bisexual, pansexual, and many other orientations, I think that every person is unique and each kind of group is unique. So it's a little bit hard to say a blanket statement across all those populations. But I will say that at a population level, we've actually done some research with one of the largest studies looking at sexual and gender minority people. It's called the PRIDE study. Actually, right now, I think they have about 20,000 LGBTQ identified adults in their sample, which is one of the largest samples of LGBTQ people. And so we have looked at some of the different populations like gay men, bisexual men, lesbian women, bisexual women, to try to see if there are differences. And overall, we have seen that gay and bisexual men seem to have more dissatisfaction than heterosexual men or more body dissatisfaction and may have more appearance pressures. We're not entirely sure why, but there's something called the tripartite model, which talks about different influences on body image pressures. So one of them is the media, and that could include social media. Other one could be peers or romantic partners, and then also families and friends. And so I do think that we'll talk a little bit about social media during the Clark Forum today, but I do think that particularly in gay men, there are a lot of influencers who perpetuate this certain body ideal. And so I do think that gay men may have more pressures from their peers and also peers through social media, or they're just bombarded by more images and content. And that may lead to more pressures about feeling a certain way. And we do know that the more exposure people have to social media, especially image-based social media like Instagram or TikTok, the more likely they are actually to feel less satisfied with their body and to actually engage in disordered eating behaviors or even steroid use or other like muscle enhancing behaviors. That's so interesting. And that's such important work. So obviously we know with the pandemic, social media use has increased very much. And as you said, these can greatly exacerbate issues with eating disorders in all populations. So are there a lot of ramifications that we're seeing, particularly related to disordered eating? Yeah. Unfortunately, the pandemic has really affected people with eating disorders a lot. And we've seen a lot of new onset eating disorders. So just at our hospital in San Francisco, since the start of the pandemic, we've seen more than a doubling of teenagers and young adults who needed to be hospitalized for eating disorders. And that trend is pretty reflective of nationwide trends. There have definitely been studies throughout the U.S. and across the world that have just shown this rise in eating disorders during the pandemic. I think that it's a pretty complex reasons for, for that, and they could be different for different people. But overall, the social isolation that people have experienced, especially when schools were closed and a lot of activities for socialization like sports teams or other activities were canceled or not able to happen in person, I think that people really felt a lot of social isolation and then you know, they weren't able to have some of their normal coping mechanisms, which could be a physical activity or just spending time with friends. 
And so I think that that all compounded with anxiety about the pandemic. And for some people who are affected economically, they could have experienced food insecurity. So there's sort of uncertainty about getting food, which could lead to people binge eating when they did have food. And then other times where they weren't able to get enough food. And also, as you mentioned, just people using social media more to connect because it was not safe to meet in person. But the more exposure that you have to social media, you could also be more exposed to certain images that perpetuate certain body stereotypes that can also make you feel worse about yourself. And then I think that when people in lockdown, you could just go down to this rabbit hole of, or vortex of just doom scrolling and getting kind of addicted in some ways to, to some of that social media content. So I think it's very complex and it's been very heartbreaking to see. And I do hope that some of that will start to reverse as the pan pandemic progresses. Obviously, this is such a huge issue and we are seeing an increase. So how can family and friends best act as support systems to help alleviate these issues for individuals that they know? I do think that checking in, you know, with family and friends, trying to maintain those social connections, I think feeling connected, feeling part of something, you know, definitely helps. And also if you see any warning signs in people that you know or love, like people who are becoming really preoccupied or obsessed with their appearance or weighing themselves a lot, are having big changes in their weight and really obsessed about food or appearance or shape, could be worth talking to them or for parents or friends to even try to see if you can get them help. You know, the National Eating Disorders Association does have a helpline that is available. And then also just if you have concerns, also talking to your primary care doctor or you know, for initial evaluation and referrals. And I do think that especially initial treatment includes both a medical team, but also therapy and help from a dietitian. So I do think that getting into those services is the best way to move forward. I'm glad that there are helplines and all of these sorts of resources. What, by and large, is the biggest concern, particularly with male eating disorders, that you might not see in female populations? I do think that one thing that people should be aware of is that eating disorders are very complex and they obviously affect your mental health a lot, but I think they're very unique in some ways in other mental health disorders and that they can also have really significant and life-threatening complications to your physical health, like your heart rate, your blood pressure. Basically, if you enter a starvation state, all of your body organs can shut down and I mean, people can die. And actually, unfortunately, about 10% of people with anorexia nervosa will eventually die from that. So it is not to be taken lightly, especially as, thing, as symptoms are progressing. And so I think it's just important for people to know that um, you know, there are these significant physical health consequences as well as mental health consequences. And that's why it is important to get into care from a medical provider as well as a mental health provider. And I think that what may be less known for boys and men is sometimes they're not the, their appearance is not as emaciated or thin as a girl with severe anorexia. And so you may not be able to necessarily see just like looks can be deceiving. You can't necessarily tell that somebody has an eating disorder just by the way that they look. And I think part of the reason why eating disorders in men are under recognized and undetected is that appearances can be deceiving and many boys and men do not present with severe thinness and weight loss. So I think that that's something to just to recognize. But 
boys and men are more likely to have compensatory behaviors by like exercising excessively. And so some of our patients will go to the gym for like five or more hours a day. Um, and you can still have huge energy imbalances if you're basically burning off all those calories but not getting enough nutrition to eat. And so I think that that's one warning sign. Thank you. All right. We're almost done. But I just want to ask do you have any upcoming publications or any new research that you're really excited about and would like to share with us? I think the thing that I'm most excited about actually is that, you know, the whole, the body of work that I've been working on that I'll talk about later today has really been trying to document the experience of eating disorders in boys and men, and then also document some of the medical complications as well as the mental health complications to really inform guidance for medical providers and, and mental health providers. And so we did recently publish a book on eating disorders in boys and men, but I'm just very happy that actually now we're working on updating the current medical guidelines to be more inclusive of boys and men, because a lot of the previous recommendations really were only applied to, to girls and women. There were many areas that talked about like missing your periods is like one sort of warning sign for a lot of medical complications. And so a lot of the recommendations that, you know, if you miss your period, then you need to do this and this and this. Um, but that obviously doesn't help if you're taking care of a boy. So we're trying to update those guidelines. So I think that's what I'm most excited about. But we also, as I mentioned, have recently been working with the PRIDE study on understanding eating disorders in LGBTQ populations. And so the two papers that will be coming out in the next week or two, one of them is looking at the use of performance-enhancing drugs and supplements like steroids or even things as common as like protein supplements or creatine supplements in sexual minorities like gay, bisexual, lesbian populations. And we just find that it's actually quite common in, in those populations. So I think uh, over 40% of gay and bisexual men report that they are using protein supplements to try to enhance their appearance. And slightly less common is like creatine, I think around 15 or 16%. And then it's less common in, in the women. And we did find links to using these performance-enhancing drugs and substances with eating disorder symptoms and muscularity dissatisfaction. And then the second study that we have that will be coming out is actually looking at relationship status and sexual partners in relation to eating disorders and muscularity concerns. And that, that study is specifically in gay men. And I guess the question was, since we do know that there are higher body image concerns in gay men, specifically related to eating disorders and muscle dysmorphia, there is sort of a question as to whether that was related to romantic or sexual partners. And interestingly, we didn't find an association with romantic partners. So like whether or not somebody was single or partnered didn't really make a difference with eating disorder symptoms. But it did seem like the more sexual partners somebody had within the past year was related to like more muscularity concerns and more eating disorder concerns. So those are just two forthcoming studies in LGBT populations. Well, I'm excited to do that research and learn more about the subject. It is so important. So this concludes our interview on behalf of the Clark Forum. Thank you again for sitting down and having this conversation with me. We appreciate it so much. Thanks so much for interviewing me.